This is Daniel Self, lead pastor of the Orchard Church, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. Afterwards, if you would like and subscribe, or if you want more information on The Orchard or to support this ministry, find us at theorchardlife.com. Now know that we are praying for you today, that God would speak to you, and you would have a breakthrough. Good morning. Welcome to The Orchard. 1030. First time I've ever said that. Wow. And it's already amazing to see uh, the 9 a.m. and um, people coming to that and the the guests engaging. And so I just want to, first of all, pause and say one thing I love about who we are as the orchard is that we are able to make the needed adjustments for those who are far from God. I don't know if you know this, but there are churches and places, there's horror stories about churches splitting when someone decided to move the piano off the stage or change the carpet or anything in church. If you change it, people are going to get mad and leave. And one thing I love about us is we understand we are about the vision, love God, love people above all things. Uh, above our music preferences, above our, our, our time preferences, uh, above um, all, uh, all things in life. And so thank you for making the adjustments in uh, 9 a.m. and for 10.30. And welcome to our new service times. We are jumping back into our Exodus series. And if you are new with this over the summer, then you're like, what Exodus series? Well, we've been through Genesis and then Exodus. And we left off as Moses exited the promised land with the children of Israel. And I need to do, today is kind of a review, but the end of it has been something that God has been brewing in my heart. I would say for a long time that I get to speak today. Something that I've, I've earned from um, some hard places. And so to take us back in Exodus, if you're stepping in with us, we need to catch up because next, um, in the coming months, we're going to have some, some amazing series and sermons as we look at what God is going to do at a certain location. First of all, God's people taken slavery, taken into slavery by the Egyptian kingdom, hundreds and hundreds of years of generational slavery, and into this slavery was born Moses. It, at a time when the Pharaoh said, any male child that's born must be killed, his mother hid him, and then she put him in a basket and floated him down the stream to, to save his life. God guided that and he was found by the princess of the Pharaoh and adopted by her and raised there. He spent three years with his mom as she, um, until he was weaned. And so he had three years with his mom and then he got to go live in opulence of the palace of Hebrew in the house of the Pharaoh. A slave, but now a prince. And Acts, 22, Acts 7.22 talks about this. It says, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptian and was powerful in speech and action. He received the best education on the planet as he was raised during this time. But he, he's there for, for 40 years. He's raised in the palace. And in Exodus 2, verses 11, we see a more introspective Moses who's wrestling with some things. It says, many years later, Moses had grown up. He went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews. Notice he has, an, he has, a, he has a knowledge of, of who he is, where he's from. And he saw how hard they were forced to work. Now, he grew up surrounded by all things Egyptian, but he knows of his bloodline. He knows of his lineage, and he goes out to see his own people and sees them in what? He sees them in poverty and in slavery. Can you imagine the conflict within Moses? Can you imagine the conflict of this, if this was you, living as a prince of the people who enslaved your own parents, your sister, your, your kin, all your people? And it continues, it says, During his visit, Moses saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. He looked this way and that to make sure no one was watching. And then Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. He takes action, swift action, and he 
kills somebody. The death of a slave master. I want to look right now at the arc, the story arc of Moses' life for a moment. He's rescued from death by God's providence, raised by his mother and father for three to four years, and then sent to the palace where he's educated and raised as a prince. He's pampered, he's elevated, and perhaps even anointed to be the next Pharaoh. But in Moses' heart, there is a growing discontent. He recognizes that he is a Hebrew, raised as an Egyptian, and he sees Hebrews every day. You have to put yourself in Moses' skin for a second. He sees Hebrews every day because they come into his room. He's, he's attended by Hebrew slaves. He has Hebrew slaves prepare his meals. They, they make his room. They, they help him with his clothes. They build his Pharaoh's temples. All of these slaves are his, his brothers, his sisters, his kinsmen. They bow low as he passes. When he exits the palace, they, they avert their eyes. They are beaten down. They are broken. They, they are used and abused for his adopted family's fortune. And for Moses... The royal food can turn bitter in your mouth when your own people are eating scraps. And the fine linen that you sleep in and the clothes can itch at night when you know your own mother is in rags in poverty. You see, Moses had this internal con and conflict. Can you, can you fathom what this would have felt like in his heart? Living as royalty while daily witnessing the mistreatment of his own people. And finally, it seems, he could take it no longer, and he acts. He strikes this Egyptian to save a Hebrew slave, and then he buries all the evidence. Now, I wonder if during this time, this is where Moses began to have an inkling of some purpose in his heart. Maybe I can rescue my people. I might be Pharaoh someday. What can I do? What can I do now? And he begins to take action in some ways that we see to step up into a purpose of being a rescuer. But the people don't recognize it. It says in Acts 7, verse 25, Moses thought his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. What is interesting is that when Moses saw the Egyptian taskmaster beating the Hebrew slave, what did he do? He saw the Hebrew, he saw the Egyptian. He stepped in between them as a mediator. As a rescuer, he stood between the Egyptians and the Hebrews, and actually he was fighting for the freedom of his people. And in that moment, he was fulfilling a purpose. He was fulfilling a future purpose that God had for him as rescuer and mediator between the powers of Egypt and his own people. Moses, in that second, was accomplishing the, the purposes that God perhaps did for him. That was the, maybe the correct thing, but, but what was he off on? He was off in God's timing. Moses is still immature, and we see that right there he's acting on his own will, not on God's will. The purpose was correct, but the timing was off. You see, Moses had a purpose, but what he needed was preparation. He had a purpose to mediate, to stand between, but he needed preparation before he was ready for that. He assumes that his killing was a secret, and the next day he goes back out. You can imagine Batman after his first night out saving Gotham. The next day he walks out like, let's see how things are different. Moses walks out. He's done this great thing. He's, he's now saving his people in secret, though, and he sees two of his own Hebrew brothers fighting each other, and he says, why are you beating up your friend? He said to the one who started the fight, and the man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and our judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? 
And Moses realized that his, public, or his private act had become public knowledge. He, he becomes afraid and he begins thinking, everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard of it and tried to kill Moses. He put a bounty out on Moses' head. If you find Moses, kill him. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. He flees death out to the wilderness. And this decision, Moses' decision to step in and try to rescue and mediate, that decision cost him everything. You have to see it cost him every relationship he had. He had to leave behind. It cost him every ounce of authority that he had and every ounce of authority he may someday wield. It cost him every comfort of the royal palace. The threaded sheets, the, the, the warm baths that were unheard of, the servants, the luxury, it cost him every resource at his disposal. And the royalty, uh, the, the royal um, the treasury at this time was the largest on the planet. He leaves all those resources behind. He leaves with only the clothes on his back. And he escapes to the wilderness where no Pharaoh would follow and no chariot could make it. And we find him there washed up, a broken person who has a little desire to step up to save his people again. And can you blame him? He had grand plans. He had huge plans. He probably laid in bed back in Egypt and thought about how he could save his people. But he ended up alone in the wilderness. You see, Moses had been schooled by the greatest scholars on the planet, but he was out here in the wilderness where he was going to receive a different type of education. He would soon learn that what he was living now was nothing like what he had previously. Threaded sheets were nothing compared to a good fire in the wilderness. Personal attendants were replaced by sheep, which he attended to. He didn't fall asleep under the, the, the gold-gilded ceilings of the palace, but under God's stars. Life was completely different. And for the next 40 years, Moses went from the palace to the wilderness. For 40 years, he spent his life in the wilderness. Moses had to awaken to some new necessities during this time, he had to awaken to some new realities. He needed to realize that he, he needed to meet God face to face. He needed to, to understand there was a power greater than Pharaoh. He needed to, to hear a sacred name through sacred fire. He needed to have his spirit quickened by the presence of God. And he will. He will have that happen. But like most things in the wilderness, the wilderness season always lasts longer than we want it to. And if you're in a wilderness season, you get this. You wanted out a long time ago. And why is it taking so long? And where's God? And why is God taking so long? Wilderness seasons take longer and last longer than we ever wished they could. But in the wilderness, God does more than we could ever hope or imagine. And so for 40 years, Moses is out there unlearning everything he knew about power and authority and purpose and destiny. The same way God may have a purpose for you, but he takes us through the wilderness to prepare us for those things. Life takes us through the wilderness in preparation for the purpose that God has for us. And why does God do this? Because in Moses' life, before God could use Moses to get the people out of Egypt, he had to get the Egypt out of Moses. And for 40 years, Moses would be there in the wilderness as God would build into him and break off of him. There are places in your life that God wants to get your old life out of you. In the wilderness, this is often the place for this. He wants to grow you. He wants to grow your character. He wants to grow your integrity. 
And God has a calling on your life, but perhaps your character can't sustain it yet. God has a destiny for your life, but perhaps your faith can't contain it yet. And so we have wilderness seasons. As painful as they are, they teach us to let go of the things that we white knuckle and, con and control or think we control. The things that we think we have under control, the wilderness teaches. Who's actually in the control? You see, what we can see now is how, what we see now in the wilderness is just how much we need him, how much our character needs him, and how much we, he's going to grow our character to provide us a purpose. God wants to write these truths deep in your heart for what he has ahead for you. If you're in the wilderness, I'm sorry, first of all. <laughs> I've been there so many times. But I want to say this. Oftentimes in the wilderness, all we want to do is get out. And in the wilderness is the time when God is wanting to get something in us. If you're in a wilderness season, it is time to seek the face of God. It is time to seek the presence of God, unlike any other time, because he wants to build some things in you for the future purpose that he has for you. Preparation leads to purpose. The desert comes before the destiny, and wilderness leads to intimacy. Intimacy with God is what we need for what is next. In those 40 years in the wilderness, what were the constant in Moses' life? As I put myself in his skin, and I think what he must have been going through in those months and then those years and decades, I think one thing he had to wrestle with was shame. I mean, he was a murderer. You realize that, right? Moses is a murderer. And he, he's ruined his life by his own actions. His anger caused him to strike out, and it cost him everything he might have had a plan to rescue, but here he is now with no plan, no dreams. Everything was a woulda, coulda, shoulda. He was constantly reminded in these 40 years in the wilderness of all he lost. And, and what labels would Moses carry with him? Well, he's a failure. He's a coward. He ran, and, he, and he's a murderer. The other constant in Moses' life during these 40 years, as I thought through this, in this wilderness area that he took the flocks around, the other constant in his life was a mountain it's called Mount Sinai. It's mentioned over and over as Mount Horeb or here in Mount Sinai. It loomed over this region that Moses would have led the flocks to. It's 7,497 feet tall, not high by our Colorado standards, but in those places, loomed large, surrounded by wilderness. And there in the shadow of Mount Sinai, Moses tried to make the best life he could from a disastrous and disappointing decision. And perhaps you've been there. There's been some circumstances that have happened to you and you find yourself in a new place just trying to make the best life you can with what you got. And that's Moses. There in the shadow of Mount Sinai, he, he decides to start making a life. He, he, he joins a nomadic people. He marries. He has some children. He becomes a shepherd, which is a job despised by the Egyptians. He knows how far he has He has fallen. A, a shepherd's life is lonely. It's monotonous. He watches sheep for hours, days, years, months, 40 years, 40. Every day watching flocks. Every night staring into a fire. Mount Sinai as his constant companion. How much time there in the shadow of Mount Sinai did Moses actually think back about his old life? How much time did he go over each detail of his childhood? Remembering his parents, his mother's face. Remembering his, his dad and 
And then the princess is adopted mom and in the, in the palace. How, in those 40 years out there in the shadow of Sinai, how often did he remember his former life? How often did he go back over that decision he made that day to kill that Egyptian, which changed everything? He would have recounted everything haunted by these things. He's now in the wilderness, in the shadow of Mount Sinai, with nothing but the haunting memories and the present thoughts. Moses, the murderer shepherd, probably didn't have any grand plans for promised lands. He had no idea. His best life was in the rearview mirror. I don't know if you've ever been here, but I have definitely been in this place. A place where at some point in your life there was so much promise, so much idealism, so much, so much purpose. And then through circumstances and through breaking, it seems the best that your life could have been is in the rearview mirror. And now... I don't know what's ahead, but it's not as big as what was almost or what could have been. And if I could have sat there with, by the fire with Moses there at the foot of Mount Sinai during those 40 years, I wonder what Moses would have told me he needed most. And I bet it's the same things I would have said during my time. A second chance. I wish I had a second chance. A time machine. Like how many times have you wished for a good time machine? Just take me back to one time in my life and it could all change. Perhaps you wanted a good lawyer to go talk to Pharaoh on his behalf, right? Or a life coach to help him with his affirmations because all he is out here is the murderer shepherd. A renewed purpose. A renewed purpose, but for what? For shepherding? I mean, what kind of purpose in the future did he even think he had? Whatever Moses could have come up with would have been pale compared to what he thought he had already lost. In the shadow of Mount Sinai, what Moses needs most is God's presence. When purpose is lost, when hope is defeated, when dreams are dead, when identity is sullied and ruined, what we need most is an encounter with the divine God. And God does just that thing. God does that in Moses' life. And where does he do it? He does it right there in the shadow of Mount Sinai, the very place where he's been for 40 years just rehashing and haunted by his past. He does it right there. God didn't take him back to the palace and do it there. God didn't take him back to the place where things went wrong and things were okay. God does it in the place that he is. God meets him and speaks to him. God speaks to Moses there at the, in the wilderness brambles and the, the dust and the everyday life that he has come to know for 40 years. God meets Moses in a burning bush in the shadow of Mount Sinai in the place of his shame and he lifts Moses' chin for a new purpose. He begins calling Moses to a new identity. To an, he begins to reveal to Moses his true name and God begins healing the hurt of the past of what Moses had done and lost. He has something greater for Moses. And what kind of greater? God tells Moses to go back to Egypt, Right? To go back and get his people out of slavery. I mean, we know the movie. God tells Moses to go back, like Charlton Heston, stand before the most powerful man on the planet and say, let my people go. Let my people go. You know? And that's the, he promises to be with Moses. He says, Moses, I'm going I'm to show you. I'm going to show Egypt. I'm going to show my people my power. And Moses goes, most reluctantly, but he goes, and God works in Moses and through Moses and does amazing things. He does the unthinkable, to stand before Pharaoh and declare Yahweh, God, and to see the idols, the gods and goddesses of Egypt, one by one, toppled by God Almighty. In the end, Pharaoh is crushed, and he relents, and he does let the people go. 
And you'd think Moses is vindicated, right? He's gone back to the scene of the crime and he's, well, he's victorious. He's followed God into the fire and he's triumphant. He's trusted the voice and leadings of God and his faith has grown. And I, I began to think this through and I saw that Moses leaves Egypt for a second time. He's left once before. He's leaving again. The first time he left in the dead of night with nothing but his own self. This time he exits Egypt with over a million people following him. This time he isn't fleeing his past. He's headed to something new. He isn't living in the shame of, of that murder now. He's living in the purpose of what God asked him to go and accomplish. But, but here's, here's the, the interesting thing. is Where does God have Moses lead the people? We know God is, me, is leading them. Moses isn't leading. The pillar of fire and cloud is leading. Where does God lead Moses? Which direction do they go? He could have led them anywhere. He could have led them right up to the promised land. He leads them to a certain place which Moses knew all too well. He leads them to familiar ground for Moses. Back to that ancient mountain, that rocky soil at the foot of Mount Sinai. God returns Moses to where the, the place he used to live in shame. He returns Moses back to the shadow of Mount Sinai that he had spent every morning, day, and night for what seemed to be a lifetime. Moses used to fall asleep right there with only his own thoughts and the bleat, bleeding of lambs. And, and now there's an entire nation camped around him and the cacophony of all the national camp out everywhere, people. He used to fall asleep watching the sun disappear behind the mountain and now he falls asleep with a pillar of fire. God's own presence guiding and leading. Moses has come a long way but, but little does he know there's still a long way to go. There's so much more to go. This, this, this series is going to be long, okay? <laughs> Buckle up. He had previously been, he had spent 40 years in the palace, 40 years in the desert, and he's only a few months into this million-person march that's going to last 40 more years. He has no clue what's ahead. But before God reveals what is about to happen, before God reveals something amazing in Acts 19 and uh, Exodus 19 and 20, he has something for Moses. And this is where I want to focus in. Because you remember Moses is this exiled murderer shepherd. He spent decades in the shadow of Mount Sinai. It's almost like a monument to his sin and failure. It's a monolith of his shame and all he had lost. He, for 40 years he had slept under it reminded of all he had lost. And again, I just want to remind you that God could have led him anywhere. God could have took, the locations are endless over there. He could have led them to any hill, any mountain, any place, and done all his work. He doesn't need a location. But where does God lead him? He leads him right back to the place of his shame. He leads him right back to the shadow of Sinai. He leads Moses right back to familiar ground where he'd cried private tears that only sheep heard. Why? Because we have a God who's in the business of redemption. Redemption is one of my favorite themes in the entire Bible, bar none. Redemption in our culture is defined by the act of being saved from something or, or the clearing of a debt. Redemption is recovering or making up for something that was lost. 
When we talk about redemption in our life, we often think about restoration. It's taking something old and bringing it back, redeeming it, restoring it to close to its former glory or, or its former glory or rebuilding it. Something's broken. We put the pieces back together to rebuild it. It's, it's renovation, bringing something back to a like new state. But God's redemption is much higher than our redemption. God's redemption is beyond restoration. It's beyond renovation. When God brings redemption, he doesn't restore it to the place it was before the circumstances hit it. When God's redemption in it works, it, it, it doesn't take you back to where you used to be before the bad stuff happened. It takes you to a new place. Before or after all that, it ha- before, after all that has happened. God doesn't re- renovate and restore. He redeems beyond. Redemption doesn't restore our past. It uses the past to create a new future. God's redemption doesn't rebuild what was broken. It surpasses the original and builds beyond what was ever formerly there. It's not something remade or put in good order. God, what he says he does is he makes a new creation completely. God's redemption goes beyond what we can imagine. Bottom bottom line, in your life, God's redemption doesn't want to bring you back to the person you should have been if X, Y, and Z wouldn't have happened. He doesn't return you to who you were before those things hit your life, before those things took hold. His redemption will take you to a new place, to the person he desires you to be beyond who you could have been. God brings Moses back to Mount Sinai for the very purposes of redemption. God is not restoring Moses to the man he would have been without the murder, without the 40 years in the wilderness. God is doing something greater. He's making a new creation with new purpose, new work, new faith, new direction. So while God could have led Moses to any location and done this, he leads him back to one place. He leads him back to the one place that for 40 years he wallowed Ground zero of his disappointment. And what does he do? Well, we're going to get into the specifics of what God's going to do in the coming weeks and months because it is amazing. But what's going to happen is one of the greatest works that God ever does until Jesus walks the earth. God's going to do something brand new, paradigm shifting, groundbreaking, jaw dropping that changes generations and eternities. God's going to do a fresh work that the world and humanity have never known at that time. And he could have done it anywhere, but he's in the business of redeeming his sons and daughters. So he takes Moses back to that place. Here's what's fascinating to me. God chose a place that meant nothing to the millions of people following, but meant everything to the one person leading. Moses, that that ground was familiar to him. He was well antiquated with that place. God wants to uh, redeem his sons and his daughters. God wants to redeem Moses from his loss and his shame. And he takes him back there. Orchard, the same God who is about to redeem the heart of Moses in Exodus, he wants to do these things in our heart. He wants to do these in our life. The same God that led Moses back to Sinai perhaps wants to do some things in your place sin and shame. However long, here's the truth, however long you've been on this planet, you have accumulated disappointment and shame. 
That's how the world works itself into us. I mean, we've had great joy, but we've also had great losses. We've had dreams that have gone unmet, but we've also had dreams that have been crushed. We face fears. We face anxieties. And some of us have anxieties that have followed us for, for years or even decades. And our anxieties follow us into every new experience as well. We have accumulated disappointment and shame. Perhaps in your childhood, your dreams were burst really early on when you realized how hard life can be, that people can be abusive, and that your past, like Moses, can be something of shame. Well, I'm gonna give you a spoiler alert. God is, has chosen Mount Sinai as a place to reveal his glory and reveal his purpose. In the weeks to come, we're gonna see God himself descend in clouds of smoke and fire in raw, unbridled power. God's gonna reveal himself in a fire that burns away slavery in a thunderous voice that shakes everything. And in, and in Moses, he's gonna shake everything there at the mountain of shame until his glory remains. But what about us? See, oftentimes God chooses our places of shame to reveal his glory and his greatest work. And our darkest valleys often is where God wants to light a beacon of his presence. I preach this, this part of this from a deep well of experience. It was decades ago, late one night, I was living in a complete shadow of my shame and my life broken completely. Seven years of just brokenness, exile, and disappointment, and God spoke to me, and I wrote it down in my journal, and it said, God said, I will redeem your past, and your pain will be a source of your greatest strength. Your pain will be a source of your greatest strength. When I first heard that and wrote it down, I scoffed at it. I laughed. It's ridiculous. And perhaps you would laugh at that, that your pain will be the source of some of God's greatest glory and that your painful story will be a source of power for you. God was telling me that my past would be something that he was going to use for his purposes. It was preposterous. But like Moses, God led me back to places where he has shown me the glory of his redemption, where he spoke in the darkness. And for us, Orchard, God wants to do this. He wants you to hear today that there are places in your past that you may have buried down in shame. Moses did it for 40 years under that familiar mountain. God led him right back there to do a new work and say, while you might have been here in shame, I'm gonna show up here in glory. While you might have been haunted by your past, I'm gonna show you a new purpose. And your pain is gonna be a source of power because God's redemption is so glorious. God wants to do in your life and in your past what you can't even imagine. And maybe like Moses, you believe your greatest things are in the rear view because of what's happened to you. Or that your past just continues to haunt who you are in your future. But God wants to do a new work. He could have led Moses anywhere, but he led him there. And he wants to lead you to places to reveal to you how your shame can be glory. God wants to do this in our own life. And the very memories of our former dark valleys, he's gonna light a hope beacon. And the places we're crushed and passed over and betrayed, he's gonna reveal his glory.
It's amazing that God takes Moses from basket to burning bush to burning mountain. And what happens in between those times is just wilderness. And perhaps you're between. You're in a wilderness season. Perhaps you have a past. We serve the same God today that lit the bush on fire. We serve the same God. We're about to worship the same God who descended on Sinai in glory saying, I will not let you define yourself by your shame. I'm gonna burn that away with my presence. We serve the same God who Moses had to take off his sandals to walk on holy ground to worship. The same God today wants to redeem your life So don't discount your story. Don't discount your past. If you're in the shadow of your shame, know that God wants to change that and use your story for his power. As we go into communion today, I want you to take out the bread, the symbol of Jesus' body. If you need communion, we have it in the front and in the back and up there. And don't take it yet, but hang with me. says that Jesus went to the cross bearing its shame. Do you know how much shame and humiliation there was in a cross? And yet today we wear crosses as a badge. See, God transforms shame into glory. And so Jesus, we thank you. And Father, as we have our broken pasts, we know that your body was broken for us. And we thank you for your broken body that you went to the cross for us. Take and eat. And Jesus, we thank you for your blood. We have, sh- we have shed many tears for what is lost, but Jesus, you shed your blood for what was gained. For a new destiny, a new purpose, for a new covenant, a new creation, we worship you. Take and drink. And that orchard, I want us, some of you are going to need some time to pray or pray with somebody about your past. And there are people available here in the front, in the back. But for the rest of us, I want us to do something. I want us to worship this morning. But I want you to realize that the same God you are singing to and about is the one who Moses was speaking to, who redeemed the past to give purpose. Let's worship. Thank you for joining us today. And if you have any other questions or need support, you can contact us at theorchardlife.com. You can help us by liking and subscribing to today's podcast. And we pray that God blesses you.